Has loneliness taken hold on your life? Sometimes it can feel as if the life we thought was ahead of us is nowhere in sight. Finding delight in your day-to-day when all else seems to be crumbling is one of the biggest challenges our world faces. Dana Gresh talks with Christian singer-songwriter Rebecca St. James, whose rise to prominence ended in a lonely season of life. This podcast was recorded in the K-Love Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, where Dana visited with Rebecca St. James. Hey friend, I'm so excited to have you with me. Every now and then we just pop together what we call a coaching podcast on a special issue that just kind of coaches your heart up. And today I am so excited to have with me someone who's going to answer a question you email to me all the time. It's probably the number one question I get from a true girl mom, and it's this. What Christian music role model do you recommend for my daughter? Ah, and it's one of the hardest questions we have to answer, but I am so excited to say that my favorite person to recommend as a role model for your daughter is re-emerging on the musical scene in Nashville. Today I have with me the wonderful Rebecca St. James. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Dana. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored by what you just said. Thank you. Well, you know, it's an important thing that I think when you have a platform, you're being given a currency to spend Mm -hmm. by the Lord, and you have spent it really well. Um, I'd like to ask you, do you think about being a role model when mm-hmm. you're on stage, when you're writing music, mm-hmm. releasing an album? Very much so. And I think because I started singing so young, I mean, I went on my first tour at 13 and then started in full-time music at 16. And so it was just very, very apparent to me that I had young girls similar to my own age looking up to me on that stage and and in pictures or, you know, in what I was wearing or the way that I was conducting my life that I was going to be influencing people. And my dad was managing me, and so I think it was something that he spoke about as well. Just, you know, you've got a window into mm. into these young girls' hearts. Let's use that wisely, mm. like the currency that you were just talking about. So um, it, I've been very aware of it, and now as a mom myself, I'm – I'm very aware of it in that regard as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I do think that so much of what we think is important, what we think is cool, what we think is worthy, sad, sadly, does come from, um, I'm going to use the word celebrated personalities. Mm-hmm. And in the world, that a lot of times can be very harmful because what we see celebrated isn't... Uh, the character that God honors yes. and loves to see yep. developed. But, and even sometimes in the Christian world, that's not the case, but you've really been intentional about that. A few of the issues that have been near and dear to your heart um, that you spoke about when you were young were modesty and purity. Yes. Why did you pick those? Well, at the time that I was starting in music, the True Love Waits movement was a very big movement. So that was a, a purity movement and a lot of uh, kids in the church were pledging abstinence till marriage. And mm-hmm. so I was one of those kids. I mm-hmm. went to a True Love Waits rally myself and said, I'm waiting for my prince and my my husband will one day come. And, and so I'm going to stand in purity um, for God and for, you know, our marriage. And so, 
Yeah, it was something that I had personally taken on. And then I was just asked to sing at a lot of True Love Waits rallies mm. um, at churches, youth groups, and then conferences. I mean, tons of youth conferences. And I mean, I think in the Georgia Silverdome, there was like, I mean, 60,000 people, wow. kids, and like pretty much everyone That's was pledging purity. Yes. Oh, it was just, it was just a really beautiful time. So, I saw such a response to me as a teen speaking about purity to other teens and mm-hmm. so much feedback from kids saying, thank you for letting me know I'm not alone, mm-hmm. to parents saying, thank you for speaking to my kids about purity, that I just ended up bringing it into every show. Yeah. And so then even after I got married, um, and I didn't get married till. A little later in life. Yeah, there was a, your weight was. Yes. We watched your weight. (laughs) (laughs) I was in my early 30s, so it felt like a a really long time. When did you write the song, I Will Wait wait For Me? Wait For Me, yeah. Uh, In my 20s, I would say. Yeah. About mid 20s, probably. uh, That song came out, and it was a big song. So when you wrote that, did you think it won't be that long? I thought, it's funny. In my early 20s, I thought, this this is the terminology in my head. God will probably make me wait till I'm 28 to get married. Oh, because you'd be ancient by then. Right. In my early <laughs> 20s, that was a really long time to wait. Now I'm like, that sounds so young. But, um, but yeah, it was, you know, a little after that. It was like five years after that. So it was, it was a hard and challenging time, just the loneliness of that mm-hmm. and kind of the wondering if my prince would come, yeah. you know, after all that wait. So. I think people don't talk enough about the loneliness of waiting. I feel like we talk a lot about the heartache and the hurt of not waiting and making mistakes that you regret. But I have encountered in the last 20 years that there's a deep loneliness, a battle. You can believe the lie that your life just would be better if you had someone. Why would God, if I'm being faithful, why would yeah. he let me go through this pain? Yeah. Um and you walked through that. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, it was definitely very challenging. One of the most probably challenging things that I've been through in my life. Um, and I've been through a few challenging things. We miscarried a couple times. Like mm. we've been through kind of highs and lows in our family life. Um, but the wait to get married was very hard, um, the loneliness for sure. But I think, you know, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think my heart felt sick for mm. a while, just just that that uncertainty of knowing, will this dream come true? I so long to be a wife and a mom, um, but I can't make this happen. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm, I am dating, but my prince is not here and I know that he's not here yet. And so what can I do? You know, mm. it's just that kind of helpless feeling. But I think God was teaching me a lot in that waiting period. And what I do know now is God can change a lot quickly. Mm-hmm. So within a year, a little over a year, I met my husband and we got married. And so okay, he redeemed so much. Be girlfriend so with us and tell us how that happened. Take us to that moment. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, so I was living in L.A. at the time and doing some acting, still doing a little bit of music, but had slowed down on the music end. It was doing some acting. And uh my roommate at the time was a part of this philosophy group in L.A. So it was like this Christian guy who was um, trying to influence young creatives in L.A. through this philosophy group and point them to Jesus, really, lay a foundation for theology through philosophy. And so I started going to that with her and met um, these two guys that 
introduced me to my now husband. Mm. Um, so it was really through friends that we met. And I remember seeing him from across the room and there's a line in my Wait For Me song that says, waiting for the look in your eyes when we meet for the first time. And I'm totally getting goosebumps right now just talking about it. But there was that look. Yeah. Like there was that kind of magic, wow. like immediately in, a, in our eyes connecting from across the yeah. room. But um, he just had the heart of, of a man of integrity and we just connected on so many things. It was like our souls were the same, but in two diff- very different people. Uh-huh. He's more introverted. I'm more extroverted. Um, he's laid back. I'm, I can be intense. Um, mm-hmm. So, but, but the same soul, same heart. And Neat. so I'm so thankful. So I want to ask this question for moms who maybe sing- a single mom listening who's like, ah, I'm in the waiting. I, I don't have that. Or maybe um, she's trying to talk to her teen daughter about the loneliness that she's experiencing as maybe a 10th grader and being the only one in her friend group that doesn't have a guy. You know, it it really doesn't matter how old you are. That loneliness is intense. What treasures did you get? You said God redeemed it. God redeemed the loneliness and the waiting. What did that look like for you? Well, I think it taught me a lot about His faithfulness and trusting Him even when we don't see, like, what's happening, why why the timing is what it is. Um, I think he's taught me that again with um, miscarriage and waiting on successive children because um, that was that mm. was challenging too, And but he redeemed that as well. And so I think whenever we go through a time of like even questioning God, you know, like in and, and I mean David was a man after God's own heart, but the Psalms are so filled with David expressing his pain. And I think I learned through that time that God can handle my pain and it is best to come to him with it and just say, Lord, I'm so hurting right now. I don't understand this. You know, please just be with me in the pain. Mm -hmm. Please comfort me. And trying to open my hands also in that pain. Uh, I think I did come to a place not of total contentment, like, because you hear that story of, oh, I became content and I was satisfied as a single and then my prince came. I don't think that that was my story. I still really, really Mm. like desperately longed for this dream to come true. But I think I did come to a place of fulfillment in my life and what I was doing and peacefulness towards the end of my single years uh, that that he was going to look after me. And I think I did have to come to a a place of abandonment, like even if this doesn't happen, Mm -hmm. Lord, I will still love you. But yeah, it, it was it was very challenging, but he taught me his faithfulness. And then I think the other redemptive element is that I have a story to tell. Mm. I have a story to tell that, you know, God is good and he looks after his people. And sometimes it doesn't look exactly like what we want it to or the timing is different, but he is faithful and yeah. he's trustworthy. Well, it's interesting to me. I think, you know, you waited so long to find your prince. And my prince waited for me too. Oh. That's something that I haven't uh, told a ton, but he did. Wow. That's yeah. magnificent. It is. Because he was in a culture, yes, a stratosphere. If, if you don't know, he was in uh, it's a, a mainstream, a, band. A mainstream yeah. band where in California, the biblical values would not be very common. No, not at all. And He's a miracle. He stood in that. I know. Wow. I know. What a treasure. I know. What a gift. I know. But I think the thing that's hard for me when I hear your story, and I think we believe the lie that if we follow God, 
everything is going to be happy. It's We're going to get easy. everything we need. We take verses like, I can do all things through Christ, and we misuse them. We say, oh, that means I can be, I can have the, the, the husband of my dreams, and the children will come, and they'll be perfect, and we'll have the picture-perfect family, and oh, and I'm going to be a celebrity and live in a big house, and God wants that for me. That verse was written by Paul when he was in prison. Yes. And he said, what he was saying is, I can be content in this place where I do not want to be. That's what he was saying he could do through Christ. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have That's trouble. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, we're promised it. We're promised it's messy. it. Yeah. It's a rough life. Yeah. And whatever's rough in your life right now, whatever hurts, whatever longing you're waiting for, it's hard and yet it's comforting to hear, Rebecca, that you had this story of I waited for my prince and then your dream, what was it, to be a wife and a mom? And then no babies. For how long? Well, it was interesting because we, we actually fell pregnant with our daughter pretty quickly. And so I think I thought, and my mom had seven kids and she didn't miscarry at all. So I thought, oh, well, that'll be my story too. I'll be fine. Um, I mean, there's, there's still that vulnerability every time you're pregnant sure. of, of like, well, I don't know how this is going to mm-hmm. go and there's nothing guaranteed. But I think I thought, that's, that's not going to be my story. And then I miscarried twice mm. in between. So, um, yeah. Really painful. Really painful. And again, that season of feeling our family's not complete. I know we're not just meant to have one child. Like mm-hmm. My husband and I both felt very strongly called to more than one child. Mm-hmm. But this is not happening no matter what I try. Yeah. And, um Again, that hope deferred kind of sense and the waiting and the the pain of that. And then feeling like my body had failed me, like what went wrong? Was it like something internally with me or, you know, just all the questioning to do with that. But God brought my heart and and there was a lot of kind of emotional pain in that time too. And my husband was in between jobs and I mean, and then the miscarriages and so much going on that was very wintry in in Mm. our world at that point and very painful. But God brought my heart and my husband's heart into a new spring internally, and then I fell pregnant with our second daughter. Wow. So So, it was pretty amazing. So he was doing something in your heart, Yep. in his heart. Like God had a – he was at work. He was. And I love that he brought spring to my heart before – the circumstances change too, because sometimes I think we can see a shift in our circumstances and we can feel like, oh, spring has happened and, you know, this is, this life is so great and we can kind of trust in the circumstantial change, but actually the deeper, more lasting change is when it happens internally. And so I love that he brought the change to my heart and freedom there and healing there too, before anything changed in our circumstances. Yeah. Um, I have learned that my faith is flimsy when circumstances around me fall apart. I think 2020 taught us that. It taught me that lesson over and over, how many things around me, you know, the fact that True Girl was touring, hitting 85 cities a a year, and like there were pieces of that that were propping up my value and my purpose, Mm. and the Lord took that away and said, I just want you to be with me. I want your value and your purpose to be with me in the stillness and the quiet. I battled anxiety. I didn't think I had a problem with anxiety, but there were nights when I would lay in bed and think, 
what is happening? Is yes. this it? Is this the end of the world? And am I ready? Are my children ready? And yes. what about my grandchildren? They're, you know, yes. And I realized, wow, I am capable of being anxious. And it was in that difficult year that I began to realize that faith, it, it gets to show up when things around us are falling apart. It gets to shine when things around us are falling apart. And so those waitings and those longings are the times when we get to step forward. And you know, the book the book of Habakkuk talks about the opposite of faith is fear. Yeah. And do you get to be a woman of faith or a woman of fear when you've had that second miscarriage or when you're waiting for your prince or when the unemployment yep. is the story of your life. Like that's when your faith gets to show up. Yeah, and I think from for me in probably both those situations, there was this call to just opening my hands. I can contend. I I'm an oldest child, oldest of seven, and contend to think I'm, I'm pretty type A. Yeah, you know, we'll just buckle down and we'll just be mm-hmm. strong through it. And I mean, fear actually has been something I've battled a lot of my life, but. But I think How does it show up for you? Fear, mm-hmm. worry, just mm-hmm. just things playing over in my head of like... Yeah, the tape player. Yes. Head. What if this? What if this? What if this? And especially showed up in parenting because it's like, what if something happens to them? What if I turn my back and this happens or I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not you know, aware of this danger and this happens? So I have to constantly be coming back to God. But I think, yeah, this lesson of opening my hands and just saying, Lord, I don't understand, and this is really hard, but I trust your heart for me. I trust your love for me. And all I know to do right now is moment by moment open my hands to you Yeah, and let's, trust. Let's talk about that trust because I think that as you as re, you reemerge, I don't know, what do you call it when an artist that we've missed comes back? <laughs> what is that well, called? I, kinda, I quietly retired, you know, before yeah. having kids and um, for, thought that I would never sing again. And really? then... Uh, the rebirth that I talk about, about God just kind of bringing spring to my heart, had a lot to do with music. Mm-hmm. And so he just brought this total new sense of calling, of uh, leading me back to music. So, yeah, out, coming out of retirement maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you retired really rebirth. early. Yeah. <laughs> well, I missed you. I missed oh, your songs. You. I loved all your albums. I have to confess probably the one I wore out was your Christmas album. Oh, thank you. It was exceptional. Thank like you. it was the like people were listening to Mariah Carey. I'm like, "Have you heard about Rebecca St. James? Come <laughs> on. So this is the Christmas album and I recruited people is just good stuff." But um I missed you. you. I missed your role model. I missed your influence. I missed being able to tell moms, "This is who you're daughter can watch and you can mm-hmm. trust her. Um, and I think even though your music now, you're obviously you're a mom, mm-hmm. you're not a teenager, you're mm-hmm. not a peer of the girls that I minister to, but they tend to listen. The number one song that they asked for last year was was your brother's song for King and Country's yes, Joy. Totally. That's what they wanted. The, yes, girl, the tween girls, song. I asked the moms, thousands of moms, what's, what's your daughter's favorite song? Joy. I and love it. Yeah. So um, I think this year when I ask them, they're going to pick one of your songs. Aww. But as you reemerge, um, I'm hearing the story of trusting God yeah. in your songs. Um, Dawn, let's talk about the lyrics and where they came from. Yeah. Uh, most of that lyric was written in the bathroom in about 20 minutes crying. Mm. <laughs> um, this, the song starts out, Lord, I'm so tired in this fight. 
tired of waking up with no end in sight. I feel I've got so little left. I know that I've come to the end of myself. And and then it says, help me hold on, cling to you until I see the dawn. And so, and again, I'm getting goosebumps just Mm. saying it because it's very deeply personal. And I think Mm. for me, when I retired, I had a lot of um, kind of music related wounding, actually, that ended up playing out with panic attacks and not Mm. being able to breathe on stage. And uh, yeah, and and when you can't breathe when you're trying to sing, it really doesn't work well. And Mm. it was very, very challenging. And I felt kind of like a failure on stage. If you can't Mm. breathe, it's hard to get notes out. It's hard to keep pitch. It's just very, very difficult. So when I kind of quietly retired, I felt like maybe my voice will never be the same again and I may never sing again and I'm totally fine with that because it had been so painful. So when God restored so much to me and that confidence to actually do some music again, and it was on stage that it happened in Alaska and it was like, Probably the biggest momentary change I've ever had in my life. You were on stage with your brothers. Yes. Were you just showing up as a special guest, or what was uh, that? Kind was of. One time it was. Thing? It was actually a cruise that uh, my brothers were invited to sing on, and I was invited to sing on. So I was just doing a couple worship songs, actually in the middle of their set with their mm-hmm. band. Um, so it wasn't really a tall order for me, but anxiety-wise, it did feel that. Like wow. I was definitely kind of emotional even you're doing my couple your songs. You're Goliath, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and feeling very vulnerable. And so I went out on stage thinking, okay, we'll just, we'll just do these couple songs. It's going to be fine. You know, just kind of pumping myself up. And I walked off stage and said to my brother Joel backstage after getting, you know, coming down off that stage, God's just called me back to music oh, wow. and restored so much. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I, I can't even believe it but I know that he has. And I realized, I think, while I was on stage that I missed that connection that I have with the Holy Spirit when I sing. There's something about walking in that in that calling and, and leading worship and pointing people to Jesus, you know, through that part of my gifting and my life that I miss that, that dependence that I have on yeah. him. And so that was a big part of it. But the song Dawn really speaks to that whole journey of, vulnerability, because even as I was faithful to press into this new season of ministry, there were vulnerabilities with my voice. There were triggers that I would have with music of anxiety. And so when I'm speaking in those lyrics, my heart is being poured out because I'm saying, this is hard. Mm. This is vulnerable. I'm so tired in this Mm. fight to come back to like what I'm what I feel called to do, but it's really scary for me. Help me hold on and cling to you till I see the dawn. So very deeply personal, but a lot of people have responded to that song. And I wrote it with my brother Luke actually from For King Country, and he sang on it with me. Um, And so even the pairing of he and I, because he's been through a lot in his life as well, our stories kind of coming together on that song and, and, and saying let's worship God in, in the middle of the winter, let's trust him for, for dawn in each of our lives. It's very powerful for he and I mm. to sing that song together because of our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about, for some reason, um, an Old Testament passage where Abraham is making the covenant with God. And here this is this big, huge covenant moment of Abraham stepping into his purpose. And there's this little teeny tiny verse in there that kind of gets overlooked most of the time. 
because it says, and he chased the birds of prey away. Hmm. And you know, you think, okay, here's this covenant sacrifice, this holy ah moment and vultures coming down or some kind of birds of prey coming down on the gift, on the holiness of that calling, that that purpose, that drive. And I, when you're telling this story, and I think of you on stage and the ability to influence people and having a gift from the Lord, um, your anxiety, your fear, your un- inability to breathe, those are your birds of prey. Yeah. And whatever your birds of prey are, you know, you, you might, you, I'm not a singer. I can't sing like Rebecca St. James, but, but I feel the enemy attack my gifts, my calls. I feel him attack my motherhood. Yeah, I feel I'm attack my marriage, and I yeah. have to fight the birds of prey away. So good. I have to swat at them, fight, use everything I can to say, Lord, I don't really want to fight this battle, but I will because you've given me this purpose. You've given me this calling. If you enjoyed this conversation between Dana and Rebecca, be sure to check out part two. When the tough times come, we need to be reminded of God's unfailing faithfulness. That is why Dana Gresh wrote a Bible study on the book of Habakkuk. By using six habits of living by faith, this study will remind you of God's faithfulness. Learn more at danagresh.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.